Bom dia, boa tarde e boa noite, gente. Tudo beleza? Good morning, afternoon and night, everyone. How are you in my beginner Portuguese? And welcome to another episode of Hidden Apron with me, Paulo Espanola. This is the show where we explore the far-reaching, sometimes unexpected, but always delicious world of food. We highlight the people behind our meals and the diverse stories that come with them from engineers working on high-tech farming solutions, rice traders, traveling tea enthusiasts, and everyone in between. Now, I'd like to start today's episode with a short story and a reason why I began today's show with a greeting in Portuguese. Now, it was a sunny day and I found myself in a pretty empty park in the middle of the Brazilian city of Belo Horizonte in the state of Minas Gerais. I was just sitting, minding my own business, when a man approached me and we started conversing. With my limited Portuguese, I found out he was a doctor and he asked me, you know, what are you doing in Brazil? I responded with pra comer, or to eat. It gave me this funny look and paused for a heartbeat, which at the time I kind of found odd to such a mundane response. Well, turns out pra comer has other connotations as well of the sexual variety. And the next thing you know, this doctor, if he really was a doctor, was uh, offering to procure for me certain services, so to speak. Now, needless to say, awkward hilarity ensued, and when he found out I was actually in Brazil, honestly, to eat the food, he pointed me towards a hotel that sold feijoada, arguably the most famous of all Brazilian stews, comprised of beans and pork. Uh, that aside, now, this story has become just one of many travel memories I've had, uh, but it does highlight something we often overlook when talking about trying new foods, especially abroad. And that is language, you know, because far too often we rely on global listicles, word of mouth from fellow tourists, or perhaps the odd local blog that's written in our language when thinking about foods we'd like to sample when traveling. But the food that really defines a country and a culture are hidden behind this language curtain. For example, it wasn't until I learned a few key Japanese phrases that I was able to taste dishes beyond the stereotypical ramen and sushi in Tokyo often in restaurants that didn't have English menus, or even English servers, or that the right Khmer words in Cambodia meant the difference between ho-hum, you know, toast and jam breakfast at the hostel, or the addicting pork over rice sold on the streets for the local workers and the population. Language plays a key role, not just in unlocking the real flavors of a region, but also in understanding a place's culture itself. And so, we come to this episode that is a bit of a departure from our normal programming of food. Today, I talk with Isabel Mora, who, full disclosure, is also my Portuguese professor. We had met on the popular language learning site italki, and I've known her for some time now, even visiting her in Belo Horizonte, where I ate Brazilian food, food beyond the stereotypical acai bowl and grilled meats. She's quite popular on italki and has over 10 years of experience teaching languages and is herself currently learning French. We demystify some of the misconceptions around language learning, since she's both a teacher and a learner, and no, you do not have to rely on memorization alone. The systems one can use to make language learning not only efficient and effective, but also personal, which is key. How one can create environments to learn a language, even if they don't have the resources to travel often or take these you know, multi-week intensive courses. And finally, how can they apply their newfound skills abroad? 
Portuguese may have been the language I have dedicated the most time on, but I cannot overstate just how much more delicious my experiences in food have been abroad just by learning some essential phrases that literally just took me some weeks. That's because the real food of a place is often in the homes and the markets, hidden in plain sight in front of us tourists, and so I'm really excited to be taking this rather different look at food in today's episode through the lens of language. Então, senhoras e senhores, por favor, aproveite minha conversação com Isabel. Isabel, bem-vindo ao Hidden Apron. I wish Obrigada. I could do this. Uh, I, you know, I really considered doing this all in Portuguese. And then I'm like, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to ask every question in Portuguese. So today... Of could. No, but today I, I want the, the, the little pleasure I have of uh, forcing you to speak English for once. Oh, <laughs> this is like my... You know, I was like, you know, for once I can finally, you know, switch the tables around. I think we should begin with first even why language learning because you've been in the language learning world for quite a while what mm -hmm. got you into it um as a as a professional or just learning language no i think general? i think it's like for me learning a language i i distinctly remember when i first started taking english classes as okay. a student right but for you what were your earliest memories of even learning a language whether that's watching tv or or you know in a structured environment like school what was that like All right, so I've always really liked English just because it was just the, the, the language of all the songs I heard on the radio. Um, and I don't know, I just really liked the language. So, uh, you know, from a very young age, I was always like singing in the shower in English, but having no idea of like, what, what I was saying. <laughs> what they meant. But that didn't stop me, I still yeah. sang it. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember very clearly once I, I was... Uh, on a trip uh, with my cousin uh, and she was young, I was really young and we would sit down on this, in the sofa and have like deep conversations in English, just repeating the sounds I would hear, uh, but made zero sense. But that like, we had a lot of fun doing that. So I was already really motivated and interested in learning English uh, before I could even say hello. <laughs> Wait, so you were basically just mimicking the sounds of English without even knowing Yeah, I, I would just like repeat what English was for me, which was like, uh, you know, imagination, all the words that were like Portuguese, but with an yeah, Asian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And throw the words that I knew, but without, uh, without much <laughs> sense to it. Right. So, so motivation in this sense, I've always had it towards English. Mm -hmm. But I really started uh, learning um, formally when I was uh, in school. Uh, so I think I was in sixth grade. And, you know, as usual, when you have a classroom of, uh, you know, 40 people, uh, you can't really learn much. So you can have an idea, you go over the, the, the verb to be and the basics, but you're not really getting a chance uh, to practice. Mm -hmm. um, so when I went to high school, I changed schools uh, and I went to a much smaller school, which was a, a business technical school. And so the language uh, classes there were very different because... Um, The classes were, they were smaller, so there were 32 students in each class, but they were split for languages. And so we started having uh, English classes and Spanish classes. And pretty much the classes were divided um, into four levels. And so one was the lowest, and I placed into the lowest for English, <laughs> which was a shame because if it was for my motivation, I would have been like in yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but anyway, so we start. I started from scratch and stuff, but I really kind of made more progress at that point because because it was a smaller class and because it was a lot of uh, the focus was a lot on the communica- communication mm-hmm. and being able to to carry out tasks in English. And then uh, after one year and a half in my high school, I went on an exchange uh, program to the, to Wisconsin. And then I was thrown in a host family, and uh, and I learned very quickly. <laughs> you have to, you have to. I didn't have anybody to speak Portuguese with me, which I think it's something that doesn't have happen with people that speak other languages. So if I was a Spanish speaker, I would probably have found a lot of people to, that I could still practice Spanish with. Right. But so being in my house, I had four siblings or host siblings. Uh, so I learned very quickly. But I do remember that. Being in um, in a uh, because because I was in going to high school, and um, and I chose really difficult classes because somebody had told me you are gonna miss a lot uh, of what you're learning in Brazil, so you should be taking you know similar classes. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for physics, chemistry. When all my friends were taking like arts and uh, you know uh, painting and cooking, and I should have gone for all of those. Would you say <laughs> those were- helped with the language though? No, they did. They did. Okay. But I do remember in my first three months that I was really overwhelmed because uh, here I was learning content and not really making sense of the language. Content-based learning, right? When you're thrown into, like you're learning something. You're, I'm, I was learning chemistry in another right. language. Right? Ah, got you. I, I think, but, so one, one thing that I, I was thinking about when I'm thinking of learning languages, right, is that mm-hmm. I also had a lot of misconceptions even before I met you right when I was thinking of learning language I was like either I had this idea that you sit in the classroom with 20 other people and you all go through this exercise of memorizing a conjugation table and repeating what the teacher says because this is mm-hmm. how I learned Spanish like, I was just talking uh-huh. with a friend and she was like I studied Spanish for 12 years I can't speak a word um, mm-hmm. that's one end and my other misconception was there's these gifted people like polyglots who could Mm -hmm. speak 20 languages and they could pick one up just by walking down the street. You know, Mm -hmm. these were two misconceptions of mine. Do you, have you found there to be other misconceptions that people have before learning a language? Um, yes, I think, uh, I think a lot of people, um, think that, um, learning a language is something you can just, uh, buy on the shelf. Like you go to the supermarket to get, a pot of Nutella. <laughs> so, and that blows my mind because it's, uh, because I, and I, and I know where that comes from is because mm-hmm. there's just so ma- so many resources and so many, I guess, polyglots that, that sell that idea that you can learn it quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that this is impossible by, by, by any means, but we have to understand that for you to reach a point that you're learning the language that quickly, you, you need to know a lot about language learning you have you need to have a lot of strategies in place or you need to be willing to uh, to follow the strategies of someone else that have uh, has already walked that path right but there's still so many variables that can influence how fast you learn a language that i think it's uh, to a certain extent a little naive to think that uh, you just need to you know follow the steps of someone else and and that's it you get a language as a result gotcha uh, and then I try to tell a lot of students, like when I talk, you come to me and say, how long do you think I'll be able to speak? Yeah. And I'm like, well, that depends uh, more on you than on me, <laughs> right? Yeah. So 
so I think the main thing when we're, when we're talking about language learning is that you need to, before you start learning the language, you need to understand how the process works. And, and through, through learning your first, second language, you kind of, uh, you need to create your own um, list of strategies of, of, of the things that work for you gotcha. that are not necessarily what works for me. Right. So for you personally, what would you say were the strategies that worked when you first started learning English? I think, I think between both of us, our motivations are different, right? Like I was studying Portuguese because I knew I wanted to eat good food when I got to Brazil. Like I didn't want to be on the beaches of Rio just eating, like, I don't know. Like, and you did, and you did. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and that's the thing that, that drove me to learn the language, right? But for you, you were taking uh, physics classes, chemistry classes, and singing fake songs in the shower. <laughs> you know, the songs in the shower. It's like, what strategies worked for you given your motivation to learn English? Right. So what what worked for me? So con considering when I began the journey, I didn't really know where I was going. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helped me that I uh, was immediately into a position of, uh, of uh, I was uh, immersed into the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went as an exchange student and uh, I was surrounded by English. That's all I heard every day. So naturally, I was getting a huge amount of input uh, and I had to produce because I was in school. Uh, so that intense uh, amount of input made a difference for me. Now, throughout the years, as I have studied uh, on being a teacher and teaching and learning other languages, uh, I now have strategies that I think uh, that are different than the beginning, but, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to think, I've always uh, thought of myself as somebody who loves grammar. <laughs> Because, uh, because I am a very, um, how do you say, in the, the multiple intelligences world, mm -hmm. I would say I'm the logical mathematical. So I try to see the, the, like the, the patterns. Underlying, the underlying structures. Yeah, I like to see the patterns, the rationale behind things, and language fits perfectly into that. Right. So, so grammar for me is it's very important because it helps me make sense of the language that I'm learning. But that doesn't mean uh, that, uh, and, and I had to change my mind to understand how I learned. That's, that doesn't mean that's how I learned. I learned uh. when I was in situations that required me to speak or, I don't know, I would feel bad, you know, because I'm trying to communicate and people don't understand me. Right. So today I know that uh, there are a few things that work for me. So being in a situation that it's uh, realistic, uh, that it's memorable, that it's, uh, that it's easy to remember, uh, that, it's, that requires me to use the language. So that being going to the country and speaking with natives, uh -huh. or if I can't because of my work or because of whatever thing, whatever that it stops me from doing it, creating that environment that forces me to be... Uh, uh, using the language in, 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 in a very realistic context. And that's where the, the internet has revolu revolutionized language learning, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's actually go into that. I was going to save that for, for the second half, but I think if, if people are listening to this, they might be saying, well, I can't go on an immersive program. You know, I can't spend mm -hmm. three months of my summer living in a different country and having to speak a foreign language. Sometimes I just want to go on the beaches of Rio and relax, you know? So for you, what will you say to that then? Or, or can you go a bit more into how the internet has actually helped us create those environments? 
Um, well, for one, uh, there are many websites, and one of which is the one that I work for, but it's definitely not the only one, that you can connect with teachers from any language in the world, and you can have one-on-one uh, uh, classes online. Mm-hmm. And why is it super important? Uh, if I live in a, in a tiny little village in the middle uh, of the Amazon and I want to learn Japanese, yeah. uh, chances are I'm not going to find somebody who can teach me. But now you can. And having, having the possibility of practicing that language weekly uh, makes, makes the world of difference. There are so many websites that allow you to uh, start getting used to vocabulary on your own. There are many websites that... Um, allow you to read uh, uh, articles and publications that are in a level that it's beyond the level that you're currently in, mm-hmm. but it allows because you can, you can uh, you know, click on a word and it translates for you. So there are many ways that you can learn on your own or at least to, to build a, a solid base and you don't ever leave your, your, um, your living room. That's yeah. how my husband learned my language. <laughs> yeah, what did, he didn't speak Portuguese before? He didn't, but he was an experienced experienced language learner. So he ah, had learned okay. Chinese, which is a much harder language. Oh my god! Okay. But uh, but all of a sudden he started taking classes uh, um, on Italki for uh, every pretty much every other day. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't really going. He wasn't necessarily uh, taking grammar classes at all. He was just speaking with uh, ten different teachers, but he did it often. And he tried to incorporate the things that he was learning in the classroom because he had a cl- uh, he was going to a Portuguese class uh, for, for more like the, the structure. Right. And all of a sudden, uh, in you know a few months, he was speaking really well. And he has never lived in Brazil. But ov- obviously, his experience or his journey has been like every other year we would go to Brazil for Christmas. On the beginning, he's like totally overwhelmed because we speak a lot and we speak, you know, uh, we, we, everybody speaks at the same time. Yep. But then on the <laughs> time, he's already been able to communicate and, uh, and I'm sure it helped that everybody said, oh, your Portuguese is amazing. So he was just feeling very motivated to keep on studying. And then in the, in the last few times, I mean, he understands quite a bit and yeah. he, he speaks really well. So... But he was able to reach a really good level, never having lived in Brazil. It sounds to me that his success comes down, and correct me if I'm wrong, came down to two things. One is being in the environments that allow you to use it and actually force you to use it. So that's the one you were mentioning a while ago. But the other thing, too, is having some sort of structure or, or framework for learning. Because I think <laughs> he definitely had an advantage being a language learner, right? And <laughs> the problem that I came across wasn't so much that I lacked the resource. You could just mm-hmm. Google language learning. I wouldn't know where to start, right? I needed uh-huh. some sort of like structure. So when, you're, when you meet a new student who says, what should I learn first? Should I learn the grammar first? Should I be watching videos? Like how do you structure that initial, the guidelines, so to speak, so that they know how they should be thinking about language learning before they even take like a first class or a first, I don't know, viewing of a video, for example. So if a, if a, if the student is completely new to language learning and to the language that I'm teaching, um, I, I have no other option than to start with the, with the basic grammar, to, with the present tense, and with the basic pronouns, and just giving the 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 the, um, the, the most frequent verbs and the WH questions. 
this needs to be done before we move any any further. But I tell them that at the same time that they need to be doing a lot of uh, uh, autonomous uh, work. Um, and so I, I recommend many resources and websites that they can start working um, on their own. But I highlight the importance uh, of uh, getting a lot of input in the language. And what, what do does that... By, what do you mean by input? Input, uh, it, it's, it's a questions term, but, uh, but it just means like the amount of, uh, of, uh, of language that you're hearing and you're reading. Uh, mm. it, it's basically everything you, you hear, you don't necessarily process at that time. It's being accumulated. It's, it's uh, being processed by your brain, right, but you right. can't really produce it until you're ready to. So it's kind of, it's a similar process to how you learned your first language. You spend the first two years hearing the input of the language and then all of a sudden, blah, 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 you start speaking. Mm. So you're basically saying that you don't necessarily have to be taking a very like uh, conscious effort like, hey, I heard this word, this is what it means. But even just being in an environment where you could hear it or read it or see it helps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's how I, like when we started with French uh, last year, uh, we knew we were going to come to to France, so and I did have a little base in France, bef uh, French before because I had studied a little bit, mm -hmm. but I couldn't really understand much of it. And so the probably the year before we moved, uh, every morning as we were getting ready to work uh, and uh, preparing breakfast, we would put on on Alexa, <laughs> um, uh, uh, France Inter, which is a, a French radio, and oh. and it's just them interviewing and you know. Uh, but we would hear and on the beginning I probably picked up 50% and then and then I could see throughout the time no not 50% that's an exaggeration a little less than that mm -hmm. but as as it, uh, as time passed by I could I, I was starting to understand a lot more but obviously it wasn't just like this I, I hear and then I don't practice I don't do anything and then all of a sudden I'm speaking I was at the same time taking uh, italki classes. I was uh, completing grammar grammar exercises on my own. Mm -hmm. I was uh, reading a lot of articles and, and using, um, uh, you know, clicking on the words that I didn't understand. So I was doing a whole bunch of things. And, and the good thing, the importance of input is that the things that you are learning on your own and you're actively trying to produce or you're, you know, doing the exercises, when you hear them or when you read them, it clicks and it's that repetition, that hearing 20 times, that makes you learn a new word or a new expression. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, um, there's more connections between the concepts in your mind rather than just like, like it's not, it's not solitary. Like there's no word that just lives alone by itself in your head. And now there's like connections between what you've been hearing, even if you didn't understand it before, to the yeah, stuff you're, now you're now reading. Actually, I will, I will say that I've, I've noticed that happening lately. Um, because I would hear things when I was in Brazil, right, that I didn't understand. But then uh -huh, I realized uh -huh. there's actually a lot of Brazilians who live by me. So I'm in the coffee shop and I, I hear it now, even though they're far away. I don't hear that they're, I don't hear the words, but I hear the, the, the flow. Mm -hmm, and I could, be, mm -hmm. I could be like, that's Portuguese. And then I get close, I'm like, oh, it is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it's that um, I actually changed my Facebook settings so that it's now all in Portuguese. And it's like, these are words that I would have, I've probably seen them a hundred times in solitary, but seeing uh -huh. them in the context of social media, for example, suddenly there's connections and, and whatnot. 
Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And you, ha- you hit a, like, a, a perfect point, right? So uh, when, you, uh, when you learn, let's suppose you're trying to learn a language and you're like studying flashcards and you're memorizing, and, and it helps, right? Because mm-hmm. especially if you use space repetition. Um, but you have to be doing this a lot. Uh, you have to be studying it, you know, 20 times to remember a word. But if all of a sudden you you learn a, a word and then you go to the coffee shop and you hear people speaking and they mention that word that you learn or you watch a movie and you he- hear that expression, it, it you make connections. And when you make connections and you remember the context in which you you, you had that click, yeah, you, it's very difficult to forget. Right. So, so, so that's why it is important to to uh, to have that context, have the context to make the connections that are going to help your memory in remembering yes. vocabulary. Basically, you're coming up with strategies to increase the probability of remembering. Yeah. Relying mm-hmm. on on sheer brute memory alone will. Well, I think that's why I kind of gave up on Spanish. Right, I was sitting in class just memorizing conjugations, conjugations, conjugations. After a while, it gets tiring. Um, if if so earlier you said that this is how you would structure the beginning journey for someone who's completely new to the language but how about for example someone like me right so i i took spanish classes i have a basic understanding of the the romance languages but i've never mm-hmm. studied french and i come okay. to you and i say okay i want to learn french how would you structure those? Because now, obviously, I, I kind of know the tenses already and I know the questions, mm-hmm. but that's about it. We're, what's the level 2.0 of, of a structure? Uh, okay, so in this case, in this case, you would be a false beginner. Well, false you would beginner? be a beginner. Okay. You would be a beginner because you haven't necessarily ever uh, learned French before. Mm-hmm. But a false beginner in the sense that you already know a lot of Portuguese. You've already been introduced to, to Spanish. Uh, and you are uh, pretty much a native speaker of English, and French and English share a lot in common, right? Right. right. Uh, but where to start? And you are an, exper- an experienced language learner. Where to start? I would recommend like uh, a book that I love, mm-hmm. uh, or a series of books that it's a. Uh, should I? Can I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a practice makes perfect, okay. um, and they have a whole bunch of uh, languages. And it's really what I started with French, and I've used it with Spanish. And uh, wait, what's anyway. the, is it a series of the Practice Makes Perfect? Is the name of the it's series? It's a series, okay. Mm-hmm. But then you go like there is like French verb tenses, uh, French grammar, vocabulary, uh, and it's a great way to start because they go into like from the the you know from the basic tenses, mm-hmm. uh, and they just do a whole bunch of exercises. They they ask to do a little a few a short translations. They they repeat, they recycle the vocabulary that they're, they're, they're introducing a lot. Mm-hmm. So I would say start with that just to get a, a, a general idea of the basic vocabulary and the conjugations. And after you've done that for a while, and you can do like Duolingo and Lingvist to get you to, to uh, frequent vocabulary. Mm-hmm. When you have the basics of, uh, of the present tense and some vocabulary, I would say start taking uh, lessons or just find a tutor or somebody to do a language exchange mm-hmm. and start practicing. Uh, you will notice uh, that in the more you read, to the, you will notice the similarities and how much vocabulary shared between French and the other Romance languages and French and English. And then you should just start guessing a lot of the times uh, for, for the words that you're speaking because you may get it wrong at first. It may be clumsy at first. But uh, 
they are too similar not to do it and right. and to start communicating throw yourself in, into the the experience i should probably i should actually mention that because when we were talking about misconceptions that's when i had um forgotten to list down is that there's there's this and I, maybe it's not a misconception more than it is a, a misplaced fear that if i'm learning a language i cannot mess up you know what i mean like i like mm-hmm. we're scared mm-hmm. to mess up uh-huh. but oftentimes the mess up is what makes the word memorable like um Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know the story because this happened while I was over there in Minas. But when I went to, to the park and said "prakomer," and apparently, you know, to eat has a different context in that situation. Like, it, it, it just creates that much more. But you'll never forget. And I'll never forget, right? Exactly. You're creating the. You're increasing the probability of of being able to remember something, which in this case was me knowing the the difference between "comer," which is to eat, and "experimentar," which is to try. Like if I had told that to someone in English, just like, hey, here's a book, they would have said there's no difference between these two, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's useful to know that there there is these structures because it is intimidating at first on just going to a first class and being afraid like I can't mess up or or I need to go. I think one of the things you wrote, and I actually want to ask about this, is one other thing I thought of was I cannot learn Portuguese unless I go to a Portuguese country and live there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you wrote down here that that's not necessarily the case. And could you also go into, besides classes, what other things someone could do to create environments without having to like fly a thousand miles? Okay. Are there so other, uh, by the way, I don't know, I don't know why you, um, you could mention names of tools, by the way. It's completely fine because I'm going to put the links in the show notes. Ah, okay, okay, okay. All right, so I will. But but before uh, before I answer this question about creating the the like the the authentic experiences, not being in the country, let me just go back to one thing that you mentioned, right? So you you're saying that for, that for you, like when you're learning a language, it kind of stresses you out, perhaps like speaking and uh, like making mistakes and not saying it accurately, right? Mm-hmm. So there is there are two concepts uh, in language learning that uh, they go hand in hand, right? And some people tend to fo- to focus more on one rather than the other um but in my opinion i think the ideal would be to kind of have a balance between both of them and these are the concepts of um, accuracy and fluency so accuracy is the it's your ability to speak uh, correctly right to conjugate the verbs uh, accurately to use the right pronouns and fluency is your ability to speak without much hesitation right mm, okay now now when when you are learning a language so we we tend to say oh i want to be fluent in that language right you don't want to hesitate when you're speaking but what they're actually saying is that i want to be fluent and also accurate, accurate. okay i um my experience with uh, re, uh with some uh, japanese students for example they they tend to focus a lot of ac- on accuracy. So they and I'm totally generalizing here, but it's just my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, when they speak, they're speaking um, very correctly. They're they're conjugating the the tenses correctly. Um, they are they're just using the language. I can't really mark lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. But what is the cost of that? A lot of the times, it's a speech that is slower than than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps it's a, it's a speech that um, that doesn't that is safe. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're using the stru- the structures that you have practiced that you know 
uh, how to use and you use them well. So the other extreme is, is perhaps, and I'm being general, I'm generalizing here, but just to have a, a good perspective, mm. you can um, experience language learners or, or not, but people who come from cultures that speak a lot yeah. <laughs> or, or who, who, the cultures that are very uh, much the spoken language is, uh, is more uh, prominent than the written language. Okay? Right, right. But anyway, let's let's get my my uh, my people right. Yeah. Uh, Latin Americans. So we we are uh, a very communicative cultures cultures. So um, for a lot of learners, when when they're learning English or another language, we want to communicate in the same speed as we communicate in our own languages, right? Right. And how what does that uh, uh, translate as if you're not to in a, in a high proficiency level yet is that you communicate because you're using like gestures and you're uh, using repetition and you're using what you know and you're using a lot of present tense uh, making a lot of mistakes but you're communicating so you're showing fluency but not necessarily accuracy ah okay, okay. yeah so what's the ideal uh, the ideal should find the balance between both of them Right, is to kind of realize when you are uh, uh, too um, stuck into correctness, and that that is the cost of that is you not not sounding uh, super fluent, and also the problem of speaking very fluently, but people are struggling to understand because sometimes the grammatical mistakes may inhibit comprehension. Mm. So, so those are two important concepts when you're learning the language. Yeah. Um, and I guess I would say that for French, the way I began, I began as a typical Latin American learner. I was, I wanted to speak, and I was, you know, guessing a lot, yeah, uh, making lots of mistakes. And now I'm in the point that I need to be very careful with that because I need to take a proficiency exam, and I can't make that many mistakes as I allowed myself to do on the beginning. And usually, have you ever been in a situation where the mistake was was really bad, like? I'm I'm still trying to think of any experience. I mean, aside from the the park experience in Brazil, but when I've made mistakes, even you know when I was in Japan or Cambodia, the mistakes. Yeah, I mean, you kind of get embarrassed, but I've never been in any life threatening situation making a mistake. You know, so I, I that's mm-hmm. but that's my experience. Have you ever seen one where? If, um, aside from taking life threatening, I can't. I can't think of a life threatening one, but I can definitely think of. Uh, uh, okay, I do. It, it's it just happened like uh, last month. So mm-hmm. I was traveling, uh, uh, and I uh, uh, booked a blah blah car, which I want to talk about. Okay, <laughs> which is pretty much a ride sharing, but uh, so you pay for to get a ride with somebody who's going to where you're going. Okay, uh, and I and which is by the way an amazing way to practice your French or Spanish in, around Europe. Yo, for for in Brazil it was Uber. I was learning in Uber, like sitting in the that's car. That's right. Okay, so it's like the, Uber, except that you're the the person already happens to be going to a place. That's right. So gotcha. Uber, they're actually professional. I mean, they're drivers, right? Yeah. So they do this the whole day. And blah blah card is I'm going to this city, and I have three places in my car, and I'll charge X for that uh, amount and hop on. Okay. So I go to La Rochelle, which is a, a city uh, 20 minutes from here that has a university, uh, three days a week. And uh, I could take the train or I can take blah, blah, car. The train is a little expensive. 
plus I don't get to talk to people. In blah blah car, I talk for half an hour, for one hour every day that I go there and I come oh. back. <laughs> okay. And yes, on the beginning, I did a lot more listening than I speak. And I, I guess I do still do it because, yeah. because I, I, I'm still not communicating, you know, the way I, was, I would have won. But, uh, but it's a definitely a great uh, uh, language practice. But going back to the experience uh, with Blah Blah Car, So I sent a message to the lady saying, I, will, uh, I would like to know if you could pick me up at the, at the train station in Toulouse. Mm-hmm. But I used the word... Uh, what was it that I use? I would like, I use the verb deposer, mm-hmm. which is usually to drop somebody off, but I use it in the sense to pick me up. Okay. And, uh, and so it was a confusing message. I was saying, could you, could you uh, drop me off at Toulouse? But that's the place I was picking up the, the blah, blah car. Yeah. So she, I think she, she was confused and she kind of understood what the message that I was trying to ask was. And she said, I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And then number one, I, I don't, I'm not a taxi, <laughs> taxi driver. Mm. And then number two, something else. But it was, and then I showed my friend. She's like, oh my God, that was so rude. And she was pretty rude to yeah. say that she wasn't, a, she could just say, no, I won't pick you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the point is. After that, I replied saying, I'm sorry, I'm learning the language, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, please understand, I just, you know, missed the, uh, used the wrong word. So that, that was funny. And at the same time, like, I'm, I'm sure the treatment wouldn't have been the same. I, I want to believe that. Uh, if they had known that I wasn't a native speaker. Because in general, my experience is that people say, you should, are you sure being a little... Um, uh, less strict. <laughs> yeah, no. And you're learning the language, right? I, uh, what do you call it? I, I guess that was a very rhetorical question because the point I was trying to make is that, that your, your mistakes generally won't get you killed, you know? <laughs> and even, even, and I know that was a generalization, but I do, I did find it quite accurate when you were saying about like the Japanese language and, and being corrected because there is a lot of, when I was talking about flow a while ago, right? When we were hanging out in in Brazil, uh, even when I was in Sao Paulo. Yeah, it was definitely rapid. It was very musical. Mm-hmm. But when I, I was in Japan, yes, sure, there were people who spoke rapidly. But more often than not, there was a lot of deliberation, you know, using mm-hmm. the right words. Because it was, it was, you couldn't cut off syllables. Like, you know, if someone says to me, like, como se ta? I, I know it's como esta. Whereas mm-hmm. there, it was like every syllable counted. It was hard to cut anything out. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, in, even in that environment, if I messed up, it was like, oh my God, here's this cute little gaijin like, trying to speak, speak Japanese. And it, it, it's, it, I think people are, are very forgiving about that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going, back to, going back to that question of creating environments, because we spoke about being oh, in yes. a country. We spoke about okay. the classes. But are there other situations that you can create for yourself, whether it's with other people or not? Um, I think that's something you can answer. But how do you create these environments? How do you create environments? Okay. So you create environments um, by... Uh, and then for, first I'm going to be focusing on um, uh, with a tutor or a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then, then I'll speak about uh, doing it on your own. So... With tutors, what can you what can you do? You can first, uh, if you're going to the country, or if you if you're not going to the country, but you can still it's still something that could happen in the future. You can first uh, 
try to brainstorm the situation that you would probably uh, find yourself into in that in that culture. Mm-hmm. And if you can't think about the specific situations, you can definitely um, uh, just think about your everyday uh, interactions with uh, you know your speakers of your own language. You can do uh, uh, you or your teacher can provide you with a list of, of the vocabulary that is needed in that interaction. Mm-hmm. And and then you can do role play situations in 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 which you are acting and uh, uh, you know being that person, being the client at the bank, being the bank manager, uh, and just pretending that that's the real situation. And that's why I say that being with a Twitter or with a native speaker or a person who speaks that language really well mm-hmm. helps because they can give you feedback or, or to say this is a realistic situation or not, or you have to take this cultural aspect into account. Um, so uh, role plays, it's a, it's a way of doing it. The other way is, uh, creating that, uh, that environment, uh, on your own. You can write, you can write paragraphs, you can write dialogues. Uh, so if you, if you, if you think you would like to know, if you would like to learn the vocabulary of, uh, um, let me think, um, food, right? Mm-hmm. You could, read an article and then write your review and then you can use italk and uh, ask the community to correct it for you what else i don't know what do you think, <laughs> I'm thoughts, to think thoughts, on, thoughts on google translate thoughts on oh okay so thoughts let's say because so, so before before we started doing classes when i would communicate with my coworkers in sao paulo to just mm-hmm. just to double check myself i would use google translate and sometimes it would be like to me it seemed correct Right, uh-huh. like for example, if you're saying, uh, "Oh, I, I just, um, I just read your message," uh-huh. I, w- I kept using the word "so," like I only went, okay. yeah, right? When really uh-huh. I should have, I should have said "akabeje, le or you know "ja," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Google Translate can't tell me that. It can tell me that, yeah, when when you type in "I only saw this now." Yeah, they, they would put so when really there might have been more appropriate ones given the context. But what are your thoughts on Google Translate? Well, um, I don't use Google Translate very very well, but I do remember from, from a class I took that uh, the Google Translator and all those, those machine translation uh, softwares, they're getting really intelligent and mm-hmm. they're getting good. Mm-hmm. So I think... To a certain extent, you could use it to check uh, or to compare something that you have written. But I, I honestly prefer, and I'll tell you, um, sorry, let me go back a little bit. For what I understand, the way Google Translate works is that as you enter the input and as people who are searching from their uh, uh, their language to, the, to another, Google learns the patterns and the expressions and, and right. That right. makes it uh, makes it so it's uh, more intelligent as time goes by. But what I what I prefer to use is Lingui.com. Yeah. Because those uh, are uh, contextual translations. So uh, instead of using, so in the, your case, you said I have just uh, what was it? The, I've, the I, I only saw your email now, or I just saw your I just finished reading your email. So I, what I would do, I would try to limit that to a, a few a few words. So I only saw. Yeah. Okay. Or I only did, and I can you can change the verb because you, what you want to know there is the only, right? Mm-hmm. When you put it on Lingui, they will search for for translations that have used the the sequ- this sequence of of words, 
and more than likely you will find it. So there will be a lot of translations that have used that sequence. And if you see a pattern, if you see that a lot of the translators are using one word, so eu acabei de ver, you will see that there is something with this acabei Yeah. So I think it's a very, um, I think it's more effective as a trans, as, as uh, you getting the answer for what the word is. And I think it's an excellent t- tool for studying. Because, right. uh, and so I think translation, with translation and with checking those uh, chunks, those expressions, uh, you can teach yourself a lot of those expressions that, uh, that are not literally literal translations from the language you're, you're No, you're yeah. Like. I think Lingui changed, was a game changer for me when you mm-hmm. had initially shown it to me because it provided so much more context when not only mm-hmm. when translating but also when like checking myself because it would mm-hmm. not only sh- it, it would show you multiple ways to translate because you know other people would word it a little differently even though the mm-hmm. english sequence is exactly the same and it's like not everything is one-to-one translation right there's there's other ways to say the same thing in english so we talked about lingui but you also said what other things i might find useful for creating environments one thing i wanted to add was actually just leveraging your environment, right? I think we talked about scenarios where students want to learn a language, which is completely not in their surrounding. Mm-hmm. Person mm-hmm. in the Amazon wants to learn Japanese. It's very unlikely they're going to find a ramen shop to study Japanese in, yeah. right? But, but, but for example, in New York. Right, in New- right. But in New-, New York, like for example, New York, someone says, I, I can't learn Spanish. I don't have the time for a tutor. I don't have this. I'm like, there is no reason you can't walk into your corner bodega and learn how to order your food in Spanish. There's no reason. Mm-hmm. Like learning mm-hmm. how to say metrae is, is like, it's almost like free. It's right there. You, know, you go to the corner shop. Or for me, I live near, um, I actually do live near a ramen shop. So before I went to Japan, I picked up how to order in Japanese. Uh-huh. And it's like, that's the one thing I would add to the list is where, depending on where you are, you can get those environments created for you almost for free. Like um, a lot of the cab drivers are uh, from the Indian subcontinent here. Whether, uh-huh, and uh-huh. even that is already a lot of dialects, right? There's Maharashtri, mm-hmm. there's Malayali, there's Hindi. There's, you, could, you could learn these words just by riding a cab. But I, I think that's the only thing I could add is, is leveraging the environment around you. You're listening to Hidden Apron Radio, produced by myself, Paolo Española, and Ricky Ho. Just two ordinary guys trying to break bread and break boundaries. Thoughts, musings, ever just wanted to rant at us? Do let us know at hiddenapron at gmail.com or at hidden underscore apron on both Twitter and Instagram. Back to the show. Okay, so we talked about creating environments, but so let's now imagine the student. They went from no familiarity with the language except the motivation because they, I don't know, saw a TV show and wanted to go to this country. Let's actually, let's let's make it real. Let's say that it's the Philippines, right? So someone doesn't understand any word of Tagalog. It has no application with Romance language except maybe Spanish. They're finally level mm-hmm. two. They've created the environment. They're ready to go on this trip. They're going on this trip. How do you go about now exploring this country that you're finally at and not falling into the trap of like staying in the hostel with all the other foreigners, right? So like how for you, if you were to go to the Philippines right now, how would you go about exploring that country? 
Great, great question. And I think uh, I, I'll, um, so I'll base my answer a little bit about my experience, my recent experience coming to France. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I created those environments were, uh, I mean, my strategies were the one, the blah, blah, car that I told you. Mm-hmm. Right. So hop in, and then, I mean, in the Philippines, you could hop on a taxi and start talking to the taxi driver wherever mm-hmm. you go. The other one, uh, and, and I'll have to, to say the experience in, in France because it's a very cu- cultural-specific context. Yeah. So in, in France, I learned when I came that uh, it's, it's, a, it's very common for, they have a lot of organizations, local-level organizations, about everything you can imagine, about sports, about, uh, you know, a political view or just, you know. Is it like meetups? Like meetups? No, 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 no. Like, like I mean, it's here? kind of the idea of meetups, but they are they are organizations. Oh, okay. uh, so so I actually on the beginning when I came here, I wanted to meet people, I wanted to interact with French people, so I signed up for an, an organization, mm-hmm. which is um, pretty much an organization for exchange of favors. <laughs> so you go to the organization and you say, I know how to do this, and you offer like a class or you offer to share that uh, that skill with people. Yes, that's and they can awesome. participate in any other classes they offer. Oh. So there were classes, there were painting classes, there were sculpture classes, there were yoga and relaxation classes, uh, and then there were some language classes. And there was like a a, a lady who 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 does um, how do you say hikes, uh, and then she talks about plants and flowers. Yeah. So so it was really interesting, and so I started teaching uh, Spanish and Portuguese. Uh, to this group of, uh, um, I think most of them were retired, uh, and it was great because because I put myself into a position. First, they were super nice and very friendly to me, mm-hmm. uh, and on top of everything, I put myself into a situation that I had to explain, you know, a concept or if I was explaining a point in French. Ah. So I'm sure they suffered a lot because my French was terrible. <laughs> Yeah, because you couldn't you couldn't do the whole like Portuguese to English English. You didn't have the fallback of going back to English. Exactly, because I'm very comfortable on explaining one language from English or vice versa. But I couldn't do it in French. But I had to. So ah, that pressure yeah. that I couldn't like uh, disappoint them made me get better at explaining it in French. So that yeah. was a, a a strategy. That I did. Mm. The other was going to the market because they have markets uh, uh, three times a week uh, with like fresh produce, and so it's to interact and to ask. You know, I would like just to order the food and ask uh, about uh, just just chat with the vendors. So that has helped a lot as well. Yeah. And then what else? I mean, meet, meeting people that you know would become that are becoming friends and hanging out with them and try to, if there is a French speaker, try to or not, but try to go to to French, uh, which is a tough one eh? because a lot of people speak English, and there is kind of a, that that uh, establishment of what language is going to be. <laughs> because English stands should go as the the winning language, really? and it's. Yeah, huh. unfortunately. I wouldn't have expected that. Unfortunately, unfortunately, no. Fortunately, because you can, I can communicate well, but uh, but it doesn't force you to to speak the language you're learning. But anyway, so that's that's where we are. <laughs> actually, I I really like the market idea because the markets actually do 
the probability of you having to use the native language is higher, I find, in markets than if you go to, like, I don't know, the local high-tech meetup, you know, where it's very, mm -hmm. very cosmopolitan, you know, oftentimes. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's it, it, the verbs that you will learn at the market, I've found, are the ones that you end up actually using day-to-day. -day. Like, for me, because, and this is why, between us, I struggle with past tense, right? Because when I travel, I don't really need to use the past tense. Unless someone asks me, like, what did you do yesterday? Which they barely do. Uh -huh. It's like, yeah. well, where, where do you want to go tomorrow? You know, where are we going now? Uh -huh. Is the store close to this? And so that was It's easier. present or future. Exactly, exactly. I, so I, the, that market idea, I think, is, is a really good one. Um, There are two more, actually, before I, before I forget. Yeah. Two other things, super important. So if, if it's possible, whenever you are and you want to put your language into practice, uh, go to like a library, a public library, mm -hmm. uh, not only to, to have access to books and all the media, But uh, but because, for example, in France, every every little town, even the smallest town, has a mediatheque. So it's not a bibliotheque, it's a mediatheque. What? Okay. Because they have different types of media. But um, oftentimes, uh, it, it's amazing how packed they are. So people that, that uh, you know, from all ages are there reading in the afternoon. It's, it's incredible. It's so awesome. It's, it is really, really amazing. And then they have a lot of events. So every Saturday they have like somebody, a guest speaker that comes and speak about whatever. Yeah. Uh, so participating and going to those events that are free and they are for the community, uh, great source of input and you can meet people and discuss whatever uh, was, was there, uh, was presented. Yeah, any, any public presentation. So there, the, in our first month here, the sec, second month here, uh, we got an invitation for a um, celebration of 100 years of the arrival of the Americans in uh, La Rochelle okay. uh, in, in sec the second world, uh, First world, world War. And so there were, there were a whole bunch of events um, that talk about, you know, that the American presence and also the letters that were exchanged between uh, a, La a new La a New Rochelle or, or New La Rochelle, which yeah. is in the U.S. and the, the students in La Rochelle here during the war. So it was it was an amazing event. All of those events are free, yeah. and you go and you just get so much, uh, um, uh, you know, input and history, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like um, the environments that we can put ourselves into are come by a lot easier than we think. You know, it's not just like the classroom, right? And besides, these are the experiences that if you're traveling, you would have wanted to go to anyway, <laughs> except except here you're going to have to use the language instead of like in a secluded guided tour. It's, it's much more fun. Uh, and that's where the locals are, right? Yeah. And you're learning, you're learning through content, which is a, it's a very effective way of learning. Yeah. You're learning something in that language, so you get to... For the price of one. <laughs> right. No, and maybe, I mean, that's how travel used to be before, right? Before the, the whole, like, guided experience where everything is packaged for you already. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. I mean, that's what it used to be. And then, you know, now we have very, like, maybe that's why the obsession with, with me asking, like, well, what's the structure I should be following when really it should be? What are the environments I can put myself and figure out the structure later? Mm. Speaking of fun, and, and this is probably to wrap the, the whole package up. For you... Something that I, I wonder is like what, what keeps people doing 
this, right? For me, the food thing, for you, like language learning. What what were your more, the most memorable experiences you've had living abroad or traveling or learning a language that you probably would never have, it would never have happened to you had you not tried to use the native language? Whew, I would have missed all the, the, the I would have missed understanding the culture and understanding how people think mm -hmm. and why they behave in a certain way. Um, I'm, I know I'm being very general, but... Uh, yeah. Any specific stories? Hmm. Well, I, I guess there is a pretty funny one. <laughs> so, so I spent the Christmas uh, in Scotland and, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, she's English, but um, she had been living in Scotland for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she's an excellent cook, by the way. Uh, and so we were all cooking and getting ready for, for Christmas. And, uh, and then she puts a little plate of, uh, with, with the food that she had prepared mm -hmm. and a little shot of whiskey. And she had a, a daughter, and the daughter went and put, you know, by the Christmas tree. Because apparently it's a tradition in Scotland, or I don't know if it's Scotland or the UK in general, mm. that you leave that for Santa. Ah, you <laughs> so, don't leave the cookies. Uh, like, no, you know, in the States, they leave the cookies in the milk. Oh, I, see, no, I don't, I, I don't remember that one because I think I just had one year spending with a, an American family. Oh. Uh, and I don't think they did it. But, yeah, it's it's... That that idea, right? <laughs> so I think it was it was a great experience, a cultural experience. And and you know, without English, I wouldn't be in that in that environment. I wouldn't be interacting uh, with uh, speakers of that language and who share that that culture piece with me. Right. Uh, so, and then another thing, just having lived in the U.S. for so long, uh, you know, I remember on the beginning, I used to watch, uh, you know some shows on TV and I, I wasn't, I couldn't understand the English, but I couldn't understand all the, the political references or mm. the cultural references because I didn't grow up there, even though I had lived there before, but throughout time, as I, I was there for a while and my husband discussed a lot of the, a lot of the things on the shows, I was able to, 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 to pick up sarcasm or, you know, when they said something, what they were referring to, right. because it comes along with language. It come, it's the cultures, the values, uh, what is important for, for the speakers of that language that are not necessarily important for speakers of other languages. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big one is, is that there are literally emotions or values that do not, you, you, they're not, you can't translate them. And so you would only have access to them in learning the language. Uh, I'll actually link an episode of a podcast I was listening to where this guy literally went to some, I don't know, it was like a, like a jungle community in the Philippines and they all had this one word for an emotion and he could not feel this emotion. He, he, he tried to get people to describe it and you know he came up with half a dozen translations, but he could not understand it. But when he finally learned the language, he felt it and he was like, oh my God, it's like, Mm -hmm. You know, language is not just the words that we use. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not. And, and that reminds me of uh, just one thing. I, I remember in one class that I took that they were saying that uh, there are uh, many, in many indigenous languages, there are all sorts of ways to describe the soil or like natural phenomena. Oh, um, or uh, snow. Snow. It was the snow one from, uh, I think snow. it's the last... The, the Eskimo community, I think, or something like that. I know what you're talking about, though. 
I don't remember, but but that uh, highlights the importance of like nature and the and the environment mm -hmm. uh, for 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 that that community, right? Mm -hmm. So in in Portuguese, we wouldn't we have neve, we have one word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's awesome that it's it you know it's it's completely uh, foreign to us because we don't live it. Right. The same the same way as if you go to Brazil and you're there for a while. And, and then you have to leave. People are going to be crying and hugging you and saying, uh, or, or uh, you know, vou sentir saudade. Saudade, yeah. Uh, and you're like, saudade, it's kind of a word that it's, we're proud of, you know, to say that it's a Portuguese word. Yeah. But that it, it's a word that expresses the feeling of missing somebody. But in English, you don't have a noun for that. Yeah. And people say it all the time. Vou sentir saudades or estou com saudades. And you, how do you know this when you learn the language? Because you can see that that uh, people are very, they get very attached easily, and they 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 feel the absence of somebody when they're not there. And it's a lot of what Brazilian culture is about. Yeah, so yeah. You miss yeah. that if you don't learn the language. Right, 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 right. Because right. I I have googled that word, and like some people would say it's nostalgia, and some people would say it's it's missing, but it's like it's all of it, right? Like, but you wouldn't say, "Ah, oh, I feel nostalgia." Yeah, no, because because nostalgia would have like a certain connotation of like, of like Sad, wishing right? I could go back to that time. But it's almost not. It's yeah, it's definitely one of those words that's fascinating, or even the the phrase like um, "vamos matar saudade," like to kill saudade. Yeah. Yeah, like feel so that feeling that tortures you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like these are these are the things that we we as a human race haven't figured out around yet and that's what makes kind of language learning but that's part of the fun right mm -hmm. okay last section so these are questions that i actually did i miss anything because like i said this episode is is very different for me it's not about food <laughs> so mm -hmm. do you feel like i'm was there a question that i didn't ask that you were like hmm i wish he asked this question Ah, uh, let me see. Uh, 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 uh. Well, we can we can perhaps um, maybe there, it's not something that you miss, but maybe just kind of uh, to leave a final message for those uh, who want to learn a language. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that uh, understanding that uh, learning a language. It's not an easy process, but it's not an impossible process. It's not only people who are gifted who can learn a language. Mm -hmm. It's but but I can guarantee you it's the, the it's the people who don't give up or who are determined that learn the language. So understanding that uh, language is a long term process. It's a uh, it's a process process that never really ends. But it's a process that if you, if you create a routine, if you discover, it's a, it's a process of self-discovery. If you discover what works for you and you dedicate and you put, uh, you know, uh, hours towards it, you, you can be able to communicate in a relatively short amount, amount of time. But it's not something that you will ever stop learning because mm. there's too much information to learn in only a few months. But... If if you don't give up, if you if you see errors as uh, your best friends because they inform you, they help you remember things. Right. Uh, if you find ways to motivate yourself and take ownership for your own learning, there's n there's nothing that will stop you from learning a, yeah. a language. 
I, I love the way that you described it as a long process instead of like, you know, like a while ago you mentioned how someone asked you, like, how long is it going to take for me to learn be fluent? Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it reminds me of this quote that I, I, I actually wrote down because I really enjoy the sentiment behind it. But this guy, this philosopher was basically like, if the goal was the point, no one would dance or sing. We would just sing the last note. You know, if we're gonna dance, we're just gonna we're just gonna dance. But like the point is having fun through the whole thing, like learning language. Like the the the, the goal isn't necessarily like I have hundred percent fluency. Like the language learning is part of it. It's part of the fun. You know. Yeah, exactly. The process of learning language is the fun one. Yeah, it's the process of uh, learning another culture. It's understanding the perspectives of other people that are different than yours. Yeah. It, it makes you. It's it's the process that helps you become a more tolerant person, and I think that's probably, in my opinion, the 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 the, the biggest benefit of learning language. <laughs> the biggest, but yeah, need, the biggest need we need like right now. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, so man. enjoy the dance, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Enjoy the process. Exactly. And the and the result will come come natural. Okay. I was saying this last section. These are questions that I've asked on every show. The questions are very short but you can answer okay. them long or short, however you want. Cool? Oh, I'll probably answer really long. Uh, we'll see. Really long we'll answers. See. We'll see. <laughs> uh, person who most influenced you with what you're doing today and why? It doesn't have to be language learning. Whatever you consider as what you do today. What I do today. Oh, I, that's going to sound really bad, but it's me. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one other person who's ever said that. There's only one other. <laughs> like a lot of people have said my mom. Quite a few have uh, said my dad. A few said professors. <laughs> but two people, including you, have said me. <laughs> but but I don't mean that to say like, you know, whoa, whoa. I'm the greatest yeah, and I'm yeah, because in, in this journey in this journey of language learning, the only common factor is that I never gave up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a lot of moments that I, I felt like giving up. <laughs> but it's uh it's because language learning it's something that you have to find ways and strength to, to motivate yourself. Mm. So for language learning I would say that the common factor <laughs> no, yeah. it's a very personal uh, insistence. <laughs> You know those motivational posters people put on their wall, like a picture of like the Grand Canyon, uh-huh, or, uh-huh. or like it, it just says persistence. Or you should just put your <laughs> your photo. Uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> that that sounds that sounds horrible. But oh, I, I wish I had another one too. To no, it's a good one. I uh, the uh, the other guy who said it, uh, he also had about the same sentiments of like you know through all this whatever it was like I'm the one who didn't give up, which is yeah not a, you know I think um. Self-confidence is something that not a lot of people have the courage to claim or <laughs> use. So I think it's a good one. Um, best language learning related tool you've purchased. So it has to be something you've paid for. Okay. Uh, Readlang. Readlang. And what does it do? Readlang is a website that um, you can upload texts in, uh, in the language you're learning. And... Uh, it immediately recognizes when you upload the text the level in the European uh, Common European Framework of Reference. So it mm-hmm. identifies if it's A1 from A1 to C2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when you're reading, so 
and you don't understand a word, you can click and it immediately gives you the translation. And obviously with more complex uh, and advanced text, you it doesn't really necessarily help to just translate a word, but you have to translate the expression or the chunk of word mm-hmm. and it gives you the contextual translation. So the greatest tool by far, because uh, it allowed it, it had a lot, it has allowed me to start reading C1 Institute text when I was an A2 student in French, ah. and uh, I didn't understand everything, but I understood a lot of it, and uh, it has given me an uh, endless amount of uh, of uh, vocabulary and uh, yeah, and, uh, without just, base, yeah, but it, it doesn't like. It's not a crutch. Like, it's not just a simple translation. It doesn't just go like, oh, here's the translation. Be done with it, right? No, no, no. It's an input. I just click on the ones that I don't understand that I, can, ah, I can't get from the context. Okay. And, and, and so that's probably one of the very few that I paid for. And then when you pay for the premium version, uh, all the expressions and words that you click, they create flashcards for you. So, what? and then when you're studying, they give the context and the extract that it was re- uh, taken from. So you have all the benefits of having flashcards and you don't have all the work that is involved. Oh, no, that's awesome. I didn't, I, uh, I used the free version, so I didn't know that you could do flashcards with the, with the premium. I should look into that. Yeah, you should. You should. Okay. It's worth it. All right. This one you probably weren't expecting because this is the first not very food episode. Three ingredients to describe you. Oh, shit. <laughs> Three. Uh... Avocado. Okay. But I need to have a, a an explanation. Up to you. Up to you. <laughs> Up to you. Okay. Uh, condensed milk. <laughs> okay. And raspberry. Okay, that caught me by surprise. Why raspberry? <laughs> I, this is amazing. I'm just saying. To, I'm just telling you all my favorite ingredients um, because it's a little. Um, uh, is it sour? The right description. Tart. It's tart. It's a little. It's tart, but it's uh, but it's not like. But it's so amazing the texture and. Uh, but I don't know how that describes. <laughs> Wait, I did you I'm have this in in? You, did you like this even in uh, in Missouri, or is it when you got to France that the raspberries were just like amazing? No, no, no. I've, I've always liked because because here's the thing: we don't really have. I mean, you can find raspberries in Brazil, but it's not it's not something that we produce very much because I think it's from cold weather. Yeah. So so when I my experiences living abroad, I had a lot of raspberries, so I loved it uh, because it's not something I had growing up in uh, Brazil. Okay. Because but was I like, don't know. If, I don't know how can that, that can describe me. Maybe I should think about it. No, you know, it's something that you you have to travel to get, which is kind of like yeah. what you're doing. And, yeah. I had to go all the way to Brazil to meet you. Huh? I had to go all the way to Brazil. Yeah, but I guess that yeah, you have to go go out of your comfort zone to get it. Let's uh, put it that. That's awesome. I like that. I like that. Okay. If you had to recommend one book or documentary or resource to the common person so that they can be, I don't know, just something that they can use to be a better person, what would it be? It doesn't have to be about languages, but you know, if everyone in the world had to read or watch this one thing, what would it be? Um, I guess I really, let me think, there are two that I'm thinking. 
So I, I, I use TED videos for my Portuguese and my uh, English classes a lot. Mm. And uh, so, it, it, you know, TED videos are amazing. They're super motivated. And you watch and you're like, wow, I can change the world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so I, I recently came up, a few months ago, I came across uh, this, uh, this video um, uh, that talks about body language. And how uh, doing like a power pose before a stressful situation changes your hormones and makes you more confident and more likely to succeed in a mm-hmm. in a in a stressful situation. Yeah, so I, I recommend. It's called the body language. It's with Amy uh, Cuddy, right? Amy yes, Cuddy. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay, I know it's, this one. I will an, link it's this. It's an ama- it's an amazing story about uh, a, a believing in yourself when everything else around you tells you otherwise yeah so. she got into like a big accident or something right yeah and she was a person that was always like uh that part of her identity was being a smart person and after the accident the doctor said that her iq had decreased significantly and she she should try to find something else because uh, academia wasn't for her yeah and uh, and she's now at harvard yeah <laughs> Teach. what so. a what a what a I actually use that power pose <laughs> so like get a job. I went, in, I went into the bathroom and I was just like power posing. So it works. I can say I will link that video in here. Um, if you had to condense your entire life's work up until this moment into one line. So imagine, let's say you, you're, I don't know, writing a book or something. And there's the, you know, that one tagline at the bottom. What would the tagline be? Can you tell me what yours was? <laughs> oh man, no one's ever asked me. That. Oh, actually, I I will say mine. I will say um the one that we use for my food company is is mine. Break bread, break boundaries. For Aww. me, that's that's my my tagline for all everything I do: the podcast, the dinners, my work in the office. All of it is around um breaking boundaries, whether that's between people or within your own head. You know, like the belief like the beliefs like i people were like oh you're international you'll never get a job outside of accounting that's a boundary right so that's uh-huh, my tagline uh-huh. but the question is to you so oh i like that <laughs> well i guess mine would be uh <laughs> it's not gonna be as cool as you no <laughs> as yeah but this is about... i had to think about this for a while i have the un- unfair advantage i'm giving you so like good. 10, 10 good. seconds it's going to be a cheesier version, but um, I think I would say don't believe how others see the world. See it for yourself. Mm. That's good. <laughs> what do you mean? That's not even cheesy at all. That's not cheesy well, at all. If, if, it, if it begins with an imperative, it's usually pretty like, <laughs> do this or don't do that. So I was like, oh, shit, that's going to come out really no. bad. I mean, come on. Look at Nikes, right? It just says, just do it. They don't even say what to do. They just say, just, just do it. So I think this one has at least some 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 direction to it. Okay, last question. So this is more just logistics, but where can people reach you, follow your story? How do people get in touch with you? Um, well, I guess the best way to get in touch with me is um, via email, or you can find my uh, profile on italki. Uh, I'm a Portuguese, Spanish, and t- uh, English teacher. So if you use the filters, uh, these filters and where I'm from, that's uh, you can find my um, my profile. But my you can also reach me at uh, lingolust at gmail.com. Lingo, 
L-I-N-G-O. Then Lust, L-U-S-T? Yep. Okay. At gmail.com. Cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend italki, especially for people who want to start practicing a language. Well, thank you for the time. Thank you. And uh, maybe we should have done this while we were... Though, I don't know. I don't know how it would have ended up because we had, like, I don't know how many bottles of wine that night. I wonder if we recorded this in person when we were at... um, Casablanca. No, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if we recorded this there in person with all the wine. I wonder where this episode would have gone. Yeah, of... and you would have, and you would have gotten the input for of a lot of a language learners sure. That's true because we had um, people like studying yeah. English on the other direction, and instead we're doing it like over Skype while it's snowing here in New York, right? So maybe there will be a part two, completely in Portuguese. Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice.